Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka Boiler Hawk, aka HD underscore Star. I don't know why sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't. Just feeling it tonight. And joining me, as always, back in Chicago, quarantine his little hiney away, Ben Ross. Ben, how's it going? Quarantine queen over here. Nice to see you again, Boiler Hark. Uh, I think you do it every time. You <laughs> you make a you make a comment every other podcast oh, yeah. about why I do it or a question why you do it. And then today you said I don't know why I do this sometimes and sometimes. Well, maybe the preface you do sometimes, or you acknowledge that you're making the weird preface. Some okay, the after party I guess is a special exception. So to speak, it's, like a, this. It's, it's a one-off in the in the greater pants party universe. Yeah, uh, is it a part of the the pants party cinematic universe? I don't know the multiverse, if you will. The we'll first see. podcast to get an NC seventeen movie attached. Oh, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. Well, I mentioned you're quarantining, Ben, jokingly, because by all accounts, your family is pretty tight. You just hung out with them back in Minnesota, but just wanted to get a sense. How was your uh, Thanksgiving with family? Tell me all about this Labna ranch sauce that you made and, uh, you know, what's up? Well, quarantine is like, I mean, in Chicago, I think like most parts of the country now, at least north, north to Midwest is you really don't have a choice. Everything's closed. Um, not, it's not quite the full lockdown. I can still, you know, go to a gym, but they're only allowing 10 people in at a time. Um, no, no classes. Grocery store is normal, but no indoor dining, no bars of any kind. Um, it's too cold to eat outdoors. So the lockdown in effect or quarantine in effect is just kind of de 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 jour, uh, I believe. But either way, I was on a plane twice in six days, so I'm quarantining. Uh, Thanksgiving was good. Uh, I, I mentioned quite a bit, I think, last week how uh, my mom more or less wouldn't let me make anything. And now the night before, two nights before Thanksgiving, she put her foot down and said I couldn't come to my brother-in-law's and my sister's unless I made something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I pulled out my recipe brain and I remember I had the, and she, wanted, she specifically asked for an appetizer, which is I mean, Thanksgiving, all the sides are an appetizer, more or less, to me. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't really matter anyway, so I made Allison Roman's The Dip, which is basically, she described it as adult ranch, and that's exactly what it is. It's Greek yogurt, uh, cilantro, some other herbs, uh, lemon, fresh lemon juice, um, and it tastes like in the, uh, you know chili oil and red chili flake is what sets it apart, and it's really tasty. It'd be a great thing to bring to a Super Bowl party. We served it with carrots and celery and toasted pita. Uh, but it's like the most unnecessary thing in the kitchen by far. 
I it was best the ne- it, it was best the very next day eating it during the Black Friday game, uh, Heroes game, Nebraska Iowa. It's, it's, it was a great football eating and watching um, uh, side sidecar. But you know, it was honestly. I'll be. I hate after cranberry sauce. I'll be honest. It's probably the worst thing on the Thanksgiving table. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, it hurt since I'm the one who brought that to the party. But <laughs> um, I'm going to blame you know my mom's wishy washiness and the fact that. Um, I mean, I think it's just she made. She made me. It's not like we needed it. Like we made two. <laughs> there are six of us. There are six of us. We made two turkeys. Like that was the most absurd thing. Uh, I I couldn't even, first time in my entire life, I didn't even have any pie. I couldn't eat dessert. I was so full. I had had pie for breakfast the next two days. So it was whatever. Uh, You know, both turkeys were excellent. My my brother-in-law smoked a turkey on his big green egg, and that was great. And, uh, you know, I think I might have spouted some anti-turkey takes. And I think the problem was I haven't been home for Thanksgiving in three years. So (laughs) I forgot like, and two years ago I celebrated Thanksgiving with my cousins in Chicago, my only family in the city. And, um, you know, they don't listen to this podcast. They can't cook. Uh, the Turkey that my, my cousin made (laughs) wasn't, was exactly what, you know, the stereotypical, why do we eat this freaking bird type of preparation? Uh, and my dad's a great cook and my brother-in-law is a great cook. And they, my dad made the traditional roasted turkey with, you know, 48 hour dry brine and all that. And uh, like I said, and they were both, I honestly probably preferred that to the smoked turkey. No, the smoked turkey, oh, was wow. still, smoked turkey was still incredible. Um, so I'm going to blame it on me. Just, I, well, first I'm going to blame it on my friends who back to back, who I had weddings in Chicago the day after Thanksgiving, back to back years. Who does that? Oh, I don't know. Brutal. Uh, it's fine by me because I hate traveling. So whatever. But that was that. It was good to be home. And uh, you know, I want to know first Thanksgiving for your little baby boy. Uh, cooked up. You cooked up a different kind of bird. I'm curious about that. Yeah. So I did uh, Cornish game hen. Christina did like a ham steak. So it was like just. You know, putting it together, we have just our the two of us, so it's like uh, we don't really have the room for a turkey, nor the patience or time management skills to make one, um, and probably for a good reason. Uh, the The bird I made, the seasoning was fantastic, I, uh, but I just overcooked it. I did the spatchcock thing, um, which is really good, uh, but man, it, it it got a little dry. Um, Still tasty. Uh, I would do it again, but it was the thing where I was just overly concerned about undercooking it. I I don't know if I said this on the podcast. I said it to someone. I just figured out how to freaking cook a chicken breast. So um, you know, stepping up to bone in uh, Cornish game hen. Um, you know, didn't didn't need to be in there for an hour. It was a, a tiny one. Um, but I do have to say the the Southwest seasoning that I made it it was butter based, which is I think the first time that I had turkey that way or poultry that way from a, a roasting perspective, um, and it does does give it a nice crisp. Um, you know, the it got a little burnt on top, but it's easy enough to just dust it off since it was so covered in in everything. But um, that was good. 
uh, Christina did creamed corn, um, just cream cheese and corn, I think, which was mm. fantastic. And uh, potatoes, I roasted a sweet potato, um, and then just rolls, you know. It, it was simple stuff, but um, Christina is the, the queen of uh, mashed potatoes. I did say that on this podcast. Um, you did, I wrote it down. And it is, it, you know, it was a good meal. It, it was funny because I, I texted you um, like <laughs> at 7.30 at night about to, I think it was just a picture of the bird in the oven. And um, that's probably later than a lot of Thanksgiving dinners are. Um, the the thing about having a infant child, a newborn child, I'm not sure what he technically is anymore. Um is you're still on their time. So it's like when they have a nap, go ahead and try and get as much done as you can. And uh, if everything is not ice cold by the time you eat it, you can do it. And uh, Christina whipped up a nice little um, like seasoning, not seasoning, like glaze for her ham that turned out really well. Um, Didn't have the maple syrup, but did honey mustard instead. And it was a, a nice substitution um, which, you know, it, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a good, good holiday. Didn't go out, didn't do any of the Black Friday stuff. I guess Christina did stuff online in terms of buying things. I am a horrible gift getter in terms of, um, being on time and a gift provider of ideas. So, um, yeah, I, this, this is, um, not my best season. I'm trying to make the most of it because, uh, you know, some somehow I'm still stuck in like the two years that I was all by my lonesome and didn't really like Christmas, um, except for when I was able to go home. Uh, but now that I have a wife and child, I have to really embrace it. So I have the Shiner cheer here today, and it's the one thing I've long embraced about this season. I, I think it's overrated, but still good. I remember, wow, I didn't realize that's what you're drinking. I remember texting you, uh, trying it last year and hating it. Uh, yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, it's so sweet. It's Sorry. getting progressively sweeter. I swear it is. Like, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I had uh, all beers like that. Well, Shiner, what's what's their summer beer? The Ruby Red? That's, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's a fresco. That's a fresco with a little bit of alcohol in it. <laughs> and, oh, man. Uh, and I had a summer shandy for the first time and probably you know, five or six years of summer and lemonade. That's lemonade. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. What's your point? No, I mean, that's just uh different strokes for different folks. Uh, beer's getting. I mean, beer's just like, I don't know what, what some of these do because like, I, I know that there are other ones where if they're like, Oh, and they added the seasoning at the end, it's like you fixed a beer, bad beer. That uh, did not taste good. So you any beer that has lactose on on as an ingredient, it's like oh, so you just put milk sugar in it to yeah. at the very end. Um, as I'm running through my mind, I'm I'm remembering that my favorite home preparation for like a roast chicken is spatchcocking it. I imagine that way uh, with the Cornish game hen. Uh, would be pretty primo. I'm curious. Uh, out, out. Uh, pardon my uh, Chicago coastal Midwest eliteness. In, 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 in where you live, are you able to get a Cornish game hen 
are you able to walk out the door and find one at a supermarket or do you have to go to specialty butcher or did you have to place an order uh no so i actually go to my bodega sorry this is oh that is such a goddamn niche comment no uh (laughs) that uh, three people will enjoy that yeah Um, no, uh, they they have them all over the place. It, it's really kind of wild. Uh, I think we just got them at at the local supermarket that we go to, um, Northwest Arkansas. You can figure it out. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, I think that the thing about getting them from a grocery store because they just come in the little prepackaged is um, one, you have to do do the spatchcocking yourself, which um, it. I grew some hair on my chest from it. Like I was, dude. I'm, I was a little if prepackaged. If that grocery store has a deli counter, I'm sure you could bring it there, and they would open it up and cut it. I'm serious. Maybe. maybe. I'm sure they would. I should. I should ask next next time. And then they'll wrap it um, up and just put the price tag on the butcher paper for you. I'm serious. You're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, no, I mean, it was like a one pound thing. So, I mean, like that, that was, that yeah, was the thing, kind. I think. I, I, if I would do it again, um, I would try and find a probably two and a half pound one because the the other thing you're dealing with, the, the one pound birds, is it just, it's really hard to eat off of those. Um, there's enough meat. Like, I'm not going to complain about, oh, I didn't have enough protein. Um, there's enough meat on it. And the because it's, you know, a, a little gamier, it's, I imagine that if it were like a chicken that I overcooked, it would have been horrible. Um, but the fact that I think it's all a little of a darker meat and you you know, you're able to get to the thigh. It, it has that juiciness that, that uh, um, retains a little more um, through the cooking. And, and like the thigh is already my favorite, um, my favorite cut of chicken. My it just, it, it's so underrated. Like, I, I think that, um, I don't really buy thighs. I don't. I don't buy breasts. Yeah, uh, thighs. I do like the the legs that you can get sometime if you're doing the the barbecue. But you know, you get some some Mexican seasoning. Christina's found like the fake chipotle. You know, you let that marinate a little bit, and it is delicious. So, so that's 14 minutes on poultry. I know. Poultry and whatnot. Uh, was it the French silk pie that that you had for breakfast, or did your mom yeah, make a? a she actually did pie? not end up making a pumpkin pie um, <laughs> to fuck it, to supplant my sister. She she made like pumpkin cookies and then brought mm. and brought them over. My sister, I didn't. I don't think I've mentioned. I've got an eighteen month niece, mm. um, and she is the apple of my mother's eye, uh, as, as she should be. Uh, yeah. As as, yes. as as she should be. Um, so my mom is really doing anything. My sister even hints of perhaps possibly wanting. So she baked some delicious pumpkin cookies and brought them over a few days before Thanksgiving when we went to see the baby. And uh, much like your situation, you know, she everything on Thanksgiving Day revolved around her. I think she took a nap at noon and slept till about two, and we ate at two thirty. Um, and just from that time, I went. My luckily, you know. My sister and her, my sister and brother-in-law, they live out in the suburbs, and you know, a great, great big planned home like you read about in their basements. Basically, a full, fully stocked gym. So I was able to get a workout in there while the baby slept. 
got got to blow off some steam. Um, <laughs> after being in close quarters with my with my family, and it was just a uh, nice time. Listen to the All Eyes podcast while I worked out. That's a nice plug. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. We need to cross promote a little more. We I know. do not do. We 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 just hint at it a little too much <laughs> instead of actually saying it. They are not. We just we steal. You their... can listen to both of them. Yeah, <laughs> we steal their um, stats and pass them off as our own. I know, I know. Speaking of Iowa stats, how about that game on Friday? It was, um, I think, what I've ultimately settled as what Kirk Ferentz is to Scott Frost's Nebraska is he is Lucy to Scott Frost's Charlie Brown. He is having that football teed up and pulling it away at as late a second as possible. Um, and, and the reason I say that, what one, because field goals have been at, uh, you know, the center stage of two of the last three games um, but those were tie games where they had no chance of winning um, right up until the, the final minute. Um, this one, much different. Uh, a Keith Duncan missed field goal, and I, I don't fault Duncan for it. It would have been nice to get him uh, a little more uh, salt in the wound in terms of um, I don't know what he would do uh, if he had made a 51-yarder especially if he had doinked it and it had gone the, the way we were all hoping. Um, he probably would have, um, I don't know, maybe he would have done the NC State uh, crotch V, whatever it's called, um, to, to Scott Frost. That would have been delightful. But the fact that Nebraska had a chance to win at the end, it made it the more sweet. It had made it all the more sweeter for Iowa to ostensibly come from behind and take it away from from Scott Frost in Nebraska and just it was horrible in the moment but looking back I wouldn't change it at all I know I really it is a little bit frustrating that it, it, you know last year it, it, the ending was even more dramatic um, but it is it is a little frustrating that these games have have been dramatic at all late into the fourth quarter uh, especially when Nebraska seemed much more much more inferior this year than last year, um, but I went and I was even better uh, in my opinion. Uh, Keith Duncan once again though had himself a great game. Really, really he did by 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 far his best game of the year. Um, really glad to see that he still got it. Not that I ever doubted he did. I just think he was a victim of some unfortunate circumstances for the past entire season. Uh, I and I, I am glad that it seems I haven't really looked. Gosh, uh, I haven't really looked um, too much into Nebraska media since Saturday morning post game. Uh, but you know, I, I'd say it, it, it. I don't. I think this is a fair. It seems like eighty to ninety percent of fans are maybe not uh, are aren't aren't buying Frost's excuses. They they see that the clap thing is very dumb. They are, I think they're getting as tired as we are of him making excuses of him choosing somebody, choosing somebody to throw under the bus. 
Um, uh, of course, there are you know his, his apologists, and I'm I don't know I don't even know what his buyout is. I'm pretty sure he's on a six year contract, right? I didn't realize it was that big. Um, it's it would no you know normally coaches get uh, four or five year contracts, six is incredibly generous. So uh, his uh, buyout I'm sure is substantial. So maybe they'll get one more year, but. And also, I think they see, you know, maybe he's not a good coach. I firmly believe, I don't think I mentioned this in my recap or on the podcast Friday, maybe after a little more deep, deep reflection, that I think if he takes Adrian Martinez, oh, no, I, I think I did say this in the post-party, whatever. If Luke, if Luke McCaffrey or Adrian Martinez is the quarterback the entire game, I think they win or they at least have a much better chance of winning. I don't understand. Talk about pulling the football away at the last second. He's doing that to his own team. He's pulling the football away at the last second with his center, with both of his quarterbacks. Uh, he, I haven't seen a, a coach, like, sabotage his own team in a way, and I, I can't remember. Yeah, the, the thing about the quarterbacks, I think in the first half, he had made the decision, I'm going to play two guys. and um, Yeah, the, the decision to pull Martinez after two drives seemed too arbitrary to not be planned. Um, and then, but in the second half, Martinez had put together a pretty good game. You know, Iowa's had struggled, especially in that third quarter, right? I mean, they gave up that quick drive. It, it's exactly what you want. Um but uh, going to McCaffrey, I, I believe it was in the fourth quarter, it it made no sense that the guy had been on the bench for, you know, the better part of two, three hours, better part of two hours, excuse me, one or two hours. Um, and it just didn't make sense to bring him in as like the primary quarterback under any circumstance. Um, I know that Nebraska somehow doesn't have any running backs. So they have Wandale Robinson and, you know, whoever isn't playing quarterback uh, lined up as a running back often, and it it didn't make sense to to use the backup quarterback in the quarterback way. Um, I truthfully thought that Nebraska was going to come out, and you saw it defensively. Um, they they threw the kitchen sink at Iowa, um, forced Iowa to to play left handed. Um, Kirk Ferentz said, "No, we're playing right handed. I'm not." you know, getting Northwestern again um, in the second half. Uh, so they, they played, you know, straightforward football in a way that has gotten them um, beaten in the past, to be frank. Um, got away with it against Nebraska. But ultimately, you know, you didn't see any um, multiple passes or things where, uh, you know, a toss to, to McCaffrey who pulls back and, you know, hit someone over the top. I think the problem is like that Spencer Petrus is not a very good deep ball thrower, but somehow Nebraska has two even worse deep ball throwers on their team. So I think all of the, the for lack of a better word, fun stuff I was kind of expecting from them. They just don't have the horses to do it. They have running backs designed as, quarterbacks and you know it's it's the high school offense where you put your best athlete behind center to to do whatever he wants with the ball and against a team like Iowa that likes to be you know have everything prepared it works at times because you know you can't account for the improvisation of 
um, quarterbacks like McCaffrey or, or Martinez, and it did hurt Iowa at times. I'm not here to say that Iowa was perfect in defending it, but also at times, you know, Iowa got the better of them. They, they had the, the fumble at the end. They played clean um, when it counted. Torrey Taylor, I mentioned it on the the first podcast, you couldn't have had, you couldn't have dialed up two punts better than what he had. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an exciting win. It's not like it's a program building win for Iowa, but it's certainly not the type of win that sets you back or makes you, makes you wonder if Iowa is doing the right thing. I think there are, the, the thing that we'll get into, um, I, I was just who Iowa is. And you're going to have to bring your A game defensively to, to beat Iowa in all circumstances. And Nebraska brought very close to their A game. Um, but, you know, offensively, Iowa was able to do just enough. And the, the hidden yardage, Chad Lesakow, he, he mentioned it. Iowa start, had better field position by about 11 yards. Um, and, and stuff like that makes a huge difference when you're not really moving the ball all that much more than than what Iowa was relative to Nebraska. I mean, 11 yards, That's you, you figure that's about just under three plays. So that's important. You mentioned, interesting, and I just thought of this, you know, I, Nebraska with the strategy, like high school, you play your best athlete at quarterback. Uh, that kind of, you know, we have to give credit to Iowa. We always talk about how it's a team game and, you know, no, you know, there's not a lot of stars on it and they have to overcome that lack of, athletic ability not really though this year when you you can't play your best athlete at quarterback and hope it's going to turn out well when i'm counting a minimum of four four nfl players in this front seven for iowa potentially five when do you look at nixon and neiman are probably locks golston too and then we can toss up um campbell is looking like an nfl prospect my gosh um sample size is too small to say but and then potentially Heflin, even who I would throw in there as a fringe guy. Um, and I don't think I'm. It, those are two. That's such a ridiculous claim to make. And we so we have to get you know obviously part of it's the coaching, coaching these guys up. But this really, I think we. I'm really for the first time sitting back and thinking about I was rich with talent on this defense in a way that Wisconsin has enjoyed and Ohio State has enjoyed. Um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, it's the first two games went the way they did. And at the same time, we're also just hamstrung by the COVID year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you, if you play this season out, um, quote unquote straight, what's it look like with Iowa's 12 games as they were planned? I think it's fair to say that Iowa almost certainly, well, I mean, you don't know about Iowa State. Iowa State didn't come out particularly hot. Um, so that, that may have been a, uh, another toss up in a game of toss ups. Um, but, uh, now I don't even have their original schedule up, but I think just playing it out from a trend standpoint, um, you know, maybe, maybe you learn a little bit, not more about Petrus early. Um, but maybe it's, uh, he works out the kinks in a game that isn't quite as meaningful. Um, maybe you have a 50-pass game against Iowa State that 
grand scheme of things, it doesn't keep you out of anything if you lose it. Um, Because you look back to 2017, and that's almost exactly how Iowa had to beat Iowa State with Nate Stanley in his first game. You know, he had to move the ball. They scored 44 points. He had to make a ton of throws. Got some help from Wadley. I think that sometimes that's underlooked when you look at kind of his final stat line. Um, But, you know, uh, it is easy to be like, oh, what if? You know, I mean, here's the thing. Like, what if Iowa had the second half game plan against Northwestern that they did against Nebraska. I mean, I think that that's a, a fair way to, to frame that because, you know, I watched uh, enough of that, all of the, <laughs> the Northwestern Michigan state game and, you know, Michigan state, they, they got that big lead on, on uh, Northwestern and they stuck to who they were. Um, you know, they, they're different than Iowa in the sense that like Rocky Lombardi is just, uh, an arm punter, like, but they let him do it and it, it worked to their advantage. And they, I believe they got, uh, their defense was great. Um, forced very similar yardage as, as Iowa did against Northwestern. And it's just like, you know, all of this in a way just kind of justifies the way Kirk Ferentz has constructed Iowa to be as, independent from its quarterback's performance as possible so that you don't it's frustrating because it's the most visible position on the field but man it's just like uh it, it is kind of the ultimate what if season um maybe just in kind of like the the thought the thought uh, experiment way i still 2018 man i was gonna say 2018 that, without, without question is the what if season i not even up for debate it's like it can yeah. come down to one pass against Penn State. You can say the same thing about 2017 too. Well, I mean 2017. I mean the thing about 2018 that just, just, just so dumb. Like you, you lose to Wisconsin when they're down, um, in a way that was very similar to how Iowa lost to Purdue this year. It's like turnovers. Well, turnovers aren't anyone's fault. I mean they are, but it's like. Sometimes those go against you. Iowa plays that game so much on the defensive side. Um, so turnovers are what they are. Uh, but then, the the to your point, yeah, the Penn State game, you have to work through Nate Stanley's worst game of his career, followed up by Kirk's, the worst game of his career, in my opinion, to let Pat Fitzgerald, Jedi mind trick you into leaving Noah Fan on the sideline. I mean... So dumb. Just the dumbest thing in the world. Like, I just... I, it wouldn't have mattered necessarily, even if Iowa beat Northwest... Would it have? Because Iowa was... It would have mattered. We would have been in the Big Ten. We would have been in the championship. What? No, Northwest I thought Northwest the tiebreaker. No, I thought Iowa finished 5-4. and Because they lost... They lost to Purdue, too. They lost the, the 38-36 game to Purdue. I'm... Yeah, because Iowa lost to Purdue, Northwestern, Penn State, and Wisconsin. And uh, the Penn State game, I think they get away with that Penn State game if they don't run out that stupid fake punt to end the first half. I know. 
Why are you doing this to me, but why are we talking about what you is brought up? Just the... You're the one who fucking brought it up. You said this. Your exact <laughs> okay. words were, this is the ultimate no what if season. Except for 2018. Then, oh, my yeah. gosh. Uh, man, I just, like, I mean, it's like, where we're at, I think I said it on, you know, in the comments. It's like, or in our Slack, you know, if I was, I was chance now is if, Northwestern experiences a COVID outbreak the week before. I mean, that's really what it's going to... And, like, God, I don't want that to happen. Like, I hate all this stuff. It's like... And it's all coming from the head coaches, the people who are actually paid to, you know... Oh, my God. The the dumbest season. I can't believe... I can't believe I'm so into it. That's (laughs) That's the thing that just, like, I'm in... I've never been more into college football as a whole than this season, let alone, you know, the the Iowa Hawkeyes. So it's like, what if, what if? You choose, when you say you've never been in more, more into college football as a whole, is this season the present? Oh, yeah. Um, you picked a hell of a time. I think it's just like, I don't know if it's about searching for normalcy or just the fact that, you know, it's the easiest thing to kind of latch on to. I, I've, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Like back when I was single, I, you know, ages ago, it'd be like, ah, I'm in, I'm into it every year. But yeah, you know, this year it's been the first one where it's like, ah, you know, I can just kind of sit around and just watch on the iPad, you know, a day's worth of games while, you know, intermittently, uh, in a way that I hadn't before. In the past, it's been different, though, I guess, because we probably would have been just, like, bar hopping or going to breweries, but can't really do that with a kid or in a pandemic. So, you know, making the best of what it is. Smoke them if you got them. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ben, I guess after the break, we will discuss what we've been avoiding discussing up until this point. And I mean, we... he was a good prosthetic. <laughs> and we are back. <laughs> oh, man, Ben. Uh, we can talk about the prosthetic to open uh, next podcast. But um, really, we've been avoiding the talk of Spencer Petrus because um, it's just... We're just holding... I mean, we were dragging out as long as we can. We were hoping... Because we're yeah. fans hoping he's going to have a uh, Big Ten Player of the Week type of game. And An about face of sorts. And if it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to. I think we can agree on that. We can. And I think, um, I know it's probably been brewing for you for a while. I guess I'll go ahead and let you lay out your case Um for, for your point of view. Because I think, not that the devil needs a lawyer, I do have some devil's advocate's points of view uh, that I will uh, discuss. Um, but I'm curious to hear, hear what you have, because ultimately I kind of agree with a lot of it. I, I mean, my when I look at what's going on with the quarterback situation right now, I'm reminded of 2014. And I think this is the best, uh, with to my knowledge, this is the best comparison of the Kirk Ferentz era to the quarterback situation. Twenty, the year twenty twenty, year of uh, Al Gore's internet, to twenty fourteen with Jake Rudock. 
um, not even from a numbers, you know, perspective. Somebody already did our homework uh, with with that, but you know, and we can't really compare them one to one. Um, Rudock ended that year with 16 touchdowns and five interceptions, and all season long, we and we even got glimpses of, glimpses of it in games that C.J. Beathard had himself, you know, a cannon, and Jake was just there to manage the game. His we we knew that you know the furthest he could throw the ball was 35 to 40 yards. We knew he was six feet, maybe, um, uh, maybe six one. We knew he was 200 pounds, absolutely soaking wet, and couldn't really run the ball nearly as well as CJ. And he was a smart guy, though. Made good decisions. I remember first game of his career, I mean, he had to throw basically a um, uh, uh, a touchdown at the very last second against, I think, Miami of Ohio to, to win that game. That might have been 2014 even. I'm not sure. Either way, uh, you know, Iowa only wins eight games in 2014. Not really a great year, and we're we're told that you know CJ Beathard is given the keys of the kingdom for 2015. Now it goes 12 and 0. I don't think that's happening uh, if Iowa switches over to Alex Padilla, because one, I guess we're not as privy to maybe what's going on in practice as much during a pandemic as we normally would be. Uh, two, I think by all accounts. Petrus, you know, not that CJ was a, uh, we can say Rudock was, was sort of a small individual, not that, and not that CJ was an Iron Man, but Petrus uh, outscores Padilla in every department from size and maybe even speed. I mean, he has what, six inches uh, on Padilla, maybe, or four or five. I think Padilla is listed at 6'1 and Petrus is 6'5, right? You're muted, so I can't hear you. Um, yeah, Petrus is 6'5", Padilla is 6'1", but you're probably giving Padilla an inch or two. Like, he, he, yeah. you mentioned it almost immediately when he played. Like, he's not a big guy, so. And, and Petrus, you know, he has the physical attributes. He's not slow. He's not. He's definitely maybe a little bit slower than C.J. Beathard, definitely more mobile than, than Rudock was. And I think Padilla's build as a more mobile quarterback. Um, but if he's that much more mobile than Petrus, it's maybe, may you know, not not significant because Petrus, I think we saw, you know, his best plays on Friday were maybe two scrambles he had, <laughs> honestly. Um, and I think, again, and this was just brought up maybe even by you in a comment today, we've been lamenting, you know, why, why not give – or why isn't Petrus further along? I mean, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I can't believe it's his third year on campus without his second. Why isn't he further along? Well, I mean, maybe everything he does pre-snap is just so good, too, is something to be taken into account. Um, he's one. He's the one calling audibles. He's the one uh, directing the line. He's the one directing which blocks to make, and he's the one making the decision at the end of the day. And we just, uh, you know, all these things that don't go in, to the stat book, I, I do believe he is better than Padilla and, and this chance. And, and that being said, I'm not, you know, what I like for Howard Holly, you know, as much as I was lamenting Scott Frost doing it, what I want maybe 
Petrus get the first two series guaranteed against Illinois on Saturday, and unless he is lights out, Padilla is getting a series to himself no matter what. But I like to see that, yeah. Would that be a fun little experiment for a fan? Yeah. But that's not going to happen, not just because it's Kirk Ferentz, um, but because it's just, I think, sort of the way f- football goes. You know, I grew up around hockey my whole life, and um, you never pull the goalie, ever. Um, and I think it's just the same situation. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Um much of what you said, I think you you start with where Kirk Ferentz's head is at, and he hates uncertainty. Like, I think that you, you go back to just a lot of what he's done and, and a lot of what drives him is building certainty. And I think what he's done with the quarterback position is about manufacturing as much certainty as possible. Um, I think what you saw just going back through the line – um, ahead of Stanley, you had Petrus sit for two seasons, two full seasons to ostensibly once he, once he was there, he was the number two. He almost immediately won that away from, from Mansell. Um, both Stanley and Petrus are bigger guys. You can rely on them to stand in a pocket. Broadly speaking, stand in a pocket, take some hits from big 10 linemen and get back up and do it again if they need to. Um, 2016, Stanley was immediately the guy. Um, the, the number two coming in in the summer. Uh, C.J. Beathard lost his helmet for a game against South Dakota. And it was, or excuse me, North Dakota State. God, that game. Uh, and uh, <laughs> talking about what if seasons, 2016s, it's... On what I've seen. Anyways, uh, Stanley comes in there and he is immediately the number two. They say there was a quarterback battle in the offseason. I don't believe that for a second, um, that there was a, a true battle. That battle played um, out in the newspapers. Yeah, it, it was It was in rhetoric only. Um, they kept Uyghurs around so that he could be it, and, and that's fine. Um he was able to grad transfer and go to Eastern Michigan. And then like you go from Vandenberg, Vandenberg Rudock, and I'm skipping the, the CJB Rudock uncertainty because Rudock was the one time that at least since, you know, Stanzi and before him got Christensen, Drew Tate, like it's weird that there are not that many quarterbacks in Kirk Ferentz's tenure. You just kind of go back through that Rolodex and it's just like, there aren't that many. But most of them are bigger guys like Stanzi. Um, Vandenberg was a little smaller. And then Rudock, too. Um, I guess that's probably the stretch of the smallest quarterbacks that Iowa had. But they never opened it up in 2012 when they very well could have. You know, that season was lost in a way that this season is not um, to give Rudock some game reps. Um, Vandenberg took every single snap. And... By doing that, what Kirk Ferentz do- has, does is he constructs an environment where only he sees what the number two quarterback is doing. And I think that that's what makes 2014 so interesting because that was the one season Rudock 
got so injured he had to play or he had to play the number two. So by opening up that door, you are seeing you're seeing what the coaches may be seeing. So by constructing an environment of certainty, he's opening himself up not to get questioned. I think that some are doing it, and I think they're going at it as best they can. But as long as Iowa wins games, and I think there's a 2014 that plays out where even at 7-6, and six, you know, if he's got four trophies, I- I'm not sure he goes to uh, – to CJB because there's enough there there to be like Rudox won these important games. We can build around him and have a good 2015. But ultimately what it comes down to is like the stats are the stats with these guys. Um, uh, pardon me a little bit, um, but you, you go um, Stanley last year, 56%, nine touchdowns, seven interceptions, 7.1 yards per attempt. Petrus this year, uh, four touchdowns, five interceptions, 56% right on, yards per attempt well down, under six. Um, then you go back to C.J. B- or Stanley uh, in 2018, and these are conference-only stats. In 2018, um, Stanley, and this is why it's the what-if season, 57%, 2,000 yards, uh, 20 touchdowns, seven interceptions, just Huge numbers. 2017, you mentioned it as its own what-if season. 54%, um, 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. And then you just kind of go down, and CJB's very much in line. And if you're doing dollars to donuts, the best season is actually Jake Rudox in 2014. As a quarterback, statistically speaking, 60%, 60%, that's the high watermark of the last seven years. Um, 7.65 yards per attempt is the high watermark the last seven years. And ultimately, what this comes down to for me is, and, and this is why it gets into a little bit of a, not necessarily heated, but it gets into, oh, you don't back the player. It gets into the intangibles quality. And an it factor. And CJB did not put up... Wait, what was your that, argument for 2014 being better? The percentage, the completion percentage? Completion percentage and yards per attempt. And, and he had and 11 ca- touchdowns. CJB's, to CJB's percentage was identical and had, more, uh, and had better yards per attempt. Okay. All right. All right. You got... So and he had one more touchdown and the same amount of interceptions. In conference, he had. He had oh, 12. in con- no, this is not conference. This is. I, 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 to to right. be fair, I did not do uh, CJB's. Um, no, this is the entire season. In conference stats, CJB played two more games in 2015. Yeah. Um, sorry, I think I can. Oh no, uh, I can't get that quick. Um, but what I, I guess, ultimately, what I'm saying is. When you look at what there's a ceiling on Iowa's quarterback's statistical profile, and that exists over the last, I would say, ten years. I would I agree normally, but I agree normally, but this receiving core, 
and then the addition of Tyler Goodson changes that equation. Holy, like this. If I had these receivers, if if Rudolph put up his numbers, CJ put up his numbers with these receivers, I think we'd be going mad. Yeah. And oh, that's a tough comparison. I, and that's part of it, right? That's what makes this so heat is the wrong word, but that's what makes it such a, a him or him or him comparison because like like you said, and I think you're spot on with this, there is value into the stuff that we do we literally do not see in terms of where he, the mistakes he's not making. We see the mistakes he is making. And that's that had long been the case with like Nate Stanley and why they never explored going away from him is, you know, he doesn't make the the big mistakes. I think we've seen enough with Petrus to be like, he's a little more prone to that, but he's he gets away with some stuff too. And I think that that's the, the thing that I just I wish there was more intangible qualities that I could see that, you know, he more improvisational. I I wish I could see that Um, because the tangible stuff, it just, even though the stats stack up and say he's not so far outside of where other Iowa quarterbacks have been, he's getting it a different way. Like (laughs) what Brian had to do in the second half was basically close off the passing playbook to inside of five yards. You sent a tweet where it's like, did anyone run a route past the, the sticks inside of inside of the red zone? And on that first or second drive, yeah. And it's just there is a lot that it seems like is closed off, but with Padilla, you're not getting the same arm. Maybe you're getting an it factor with him. And I that's that's what I think. I think you go. You compare the high school tapes. It's Petrus throwing a lot of bombs. I'm so, I'm so sick of hearing about high school for both these for any player. But it's all we have, right? To compare them apples to apples, um, right? And I think that the thing with Padilla that we're never going to see, we're never going to see what he looks like, um, barring injury to Petrus. What does Padilla look like when he has to escape a pocket? Um, he has to scramble, find someone on the run. And that's why I go to the high school tape and I'm like, I think he's better to his left and his right. Um, he doesn't have the arm. He probably is a little riskier. Um, and, and that's why I think people are so gung-ho about Hogan because he's the guy that'll go out and get it for you. Like, I mean, and there's something to that, but I just, there's no way he plays um he plays, but the reason it's so important because Kirk Ferentz likes certainty at quarterback. In the spring, if Lavis comes from Ohio, um, Iowa could have four quarterbacks that could start um, three or four years. Uh, it's important to to pick the right guy. It's not important to be. We've put so much into Petrus that he's our guy, and. Chase the sunk cost. If there is, oh, you beat, better, me, you beat me to the math class. I failed. Like I think that that's what it feels like with Petrus is we're not seeing what 
they are seeing, and there's a case that even they're not seeing what they're seeing if Peaches really is getting all the reps in practice, like typically we see in in Iowa's or hear about in Iowa's uh, the way they operate during the week is the ones get it all. So like they, they might not even know what Padilla can do. They, they probably know he's good in the classroom and the, the position room, but man, it we're just not going to know. And that's the genius of Kirk Ferentz. Like bringing it back to Frost, there's a quarterback controversy because he's cultivated a culture for a quarterback controversy. Kirk Ferentz does not do that. Yeah, I guess up until maybe the summer, we could say Kirk doesn't really, <laughs> he doesn't really build, um, he's never a prisoner of his own design. Um, or sometimes he is, one way or the other. You know, here's what I'm really concerned about. In, in 2010, Stanzi threw 25 touchdowns. An Iowa foot quarterback didn't throw 20 touchdowns again until 2017. We had to wait six years, uh, you know, C.J. Beathard, he threw 17 back-to-back years, 2015 and 2016. So we had to wait six entire seasons to get really – to get to 20, 20 touchdowns for the year. And then, you know, Stanley threw 26 and kind of blew our socks off in 2017. You know, I don't know from what I've seen – you know, you know, through six games, Petrus has four touchdowns only. I don't know, <laughs> especially with this receiving core. That's a kind of, you know, now playing devil's advocate. It's kind of malpractice with this receiving core. Like Buyer, as we mentioned, his ceiling was at the beginning of the year. I remember we said his ceiling was Henry Krieger Coble, and I think he might be a little bit better. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, Laporta, I think is just as good as advertised. He's not getting the like getting putting up the numbers because of the quarterback problem. You know, I'm saying this. I've been saying this under my breath. You know, some criticisms of Petrus all year, and I, it doesn't you know come out as well. And I think it's time we maybe the you know the problem is it's damned if you do, damned if you don't with Kirk. If he gives Padilla any light, any type of daylight. Um, you know, we don't want to wish Petra Petrus getting hurt, but you know, that's my, that might be what it takes him getting hurt or COVID for us to see Padilla this year. Here's what it takes. The false positive Saturday morning. That's yeah. Yeah. You brought this up. That's the thing that if you want to see Padilla, you're hoping for the false positive Saturday morning that keeps him out of the game because you can't have a positive player on the field Sunday he tests negative and then the next day he tests negative again so then we have a full-blown quarterback controversy but we're not going to see any backup quarterback I think someone in the comments is like 10 games until next year that that may be but I I look to next year IU they're going to be a good team Iowa State they're going to be a good team. If whoever is starting, assuming it's Petrus, because that's been the way that Kirk Ferentz operates, if he does not play well in those two games, it will be 
a cluster like we haven't seen since 2014. I actually think that's a great point. What might benefit him in 2021 is if he does go to the backup quarterback and that quarterback does not blow any anyone away because then he can be like, see what I told you. This is why we went with Petrus. So it's like you, it's a grass is greener situation. You, you mentioned it very early on that my favorite player is the backup quarterback. And that's just the, that's just the way football fans operate. And because Kirk Ferentz has built his system around mitigating the negative impacts of the quarterback position, it's gone and created negative impacts itself that have to be mitigated by the rest of the team. And it works. Like that's a frustrating thing. I wish it didn't work in some respect because it is, it's unbelievable that it does. I mean, seriously, if Iowa had a good quarterback, they would challenge for the division every year. They would uh, have a path to the college football playoff Um, because this defense, the last three seasons has been tremendous. Um, And it just feels like, man, we're we're just, it feels like we're losing out on another year of prime Phil Parker. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, Kirk, you know, I think he makes his quarterback decisions because he knows he's got Phil down the, down the street, on the side, down the sideline. Um, bailing his ass out, uh, and that's great. You know, <laughs> we're 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 what's what's we're we're spoiled. You know, I shudder to think about like what, how much like Kirk would be be forced to change his offensive philosophy if Phil Parker was not the defensive coordinator. His hand would be forced. And that goes in the, when I say offensive philosophy, that, that means the way he approaches his quarterback, the way he approaches his offensive line, the, the, the type of running back he recruits, um, wide receiver, nothing changes because, you know, <laughs> you know that's, <laughs> you know, hey, we're, we're just lucky. Uh, we've got a pretty great position coach uh, who's recruited, who uh, overachieved in recruiting um, at that position. So, I mean, it all, it's just, Iowa football is a sum of its parts. And we're we're seeing that more than ever this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. Um, You mentioned it. You you just wish that for these these receivers that they would have gotten more out of this season. I think it's fair to call it, you know, through six games, up to four more if by some chance Iowa plays in a, a bowl game and they get each of the next three weeks uh, clean. Um, you just kind of wish that, you know, there would be more than four passing touchdowns to, to hang your hat on in uh, going into game seven. You really do. Uh, but, hey, Tyler Goodson and, and Makai Sargent, they've each got – a half dozen. Um, I think ultimately, like, I haven't looked at Iowa's scoring per game numbers lately. My sense is like they're actually not that bad, but they do. They still do have the what the 
31 points per game, 44th in the country. I don't know. Feels a little smokes and mirrorsy, but it's what it is. And then, of course, 16.7 points again. Uh, just uh, It just feels like, man, those first two games. But it's also like the first two games are... I think we, we may have been on this early. It's like, you know, it's Kirk Ferentz's perfect uh, storyline is playing the best best football at the end of the year. Well, it, it'd be great if that were the case. And, you know, I was challenging for a playoff spot, which if they had a good play out of the quarterback, it they might be. I think that that's really... I was so not focused on like the moonshots that that's out of the realm of possibility, but with a good quarterback, even if they had lost that early game to Purdue, I think there's a path to, well, Iowa could be uh, challenging for a playoff spot. Um, It's weird to say, especially if, you know, but, but that's just not how we think we're, route side of that um but heck north northwestern could have like i mean if they they were eighth this week you know if they they won their next four games they would have been in or next three games they would have been in the playoff they just would have so So, you know maybe we're glad we're not in that position to uh you know (laughs) to to fiddle fuck our way out of (laughs) out of uh playoff spot Oh yeah, right. I mean, but that's a, that's also the thing, right? Like this is uh, though the the emphasis on these games is no more than the emphasis on the games at the beginning of the season. Like playing Illinois is playing Illinois. It's not like you're playing for Illinois. Oh, and you also have to win so that you can win your division and are still in the top five or six of the the college football playoff rankings. I mean, I th- like we've discussed this in the past, but like Kirk Ferentz starts himself in a hole and he digs himself out of the hole every, every year. Um, should he get credit for that? It's what it is. Like enjoy the wins. That's what I try and tell myself more often than not. And that's why we spent, you know, the better part of the first half of the episode dancing on uh the grave of the nebraska game i mean what well, yeah it, it was it was totally warranted <laughs> you know I, I don't regret it um i guess i'm just you, you look at it too um just way the quarterback position is always i feel like kirk brings people in to make an example, this isn't this isn't true. And this is just indicative of, and I don't know enough about other schools about how it works. But like, you look at every single backup quarterback I was had, and like Cody Sokol, he left. Tyler Weegers, he left. Um, and then Peyton Mansell, he left. Like, there has to be. I wonder, just like, there's absolutely no. I, these guys leave because there's absolutely no daylight between them and the starting position like even barring you know it makes me think like these guys are in 
And it's not like, you know, injuries to the quarterback aren't unheard of by any means. Iowa's gotten actually really lucky in that department, if you think about it. Uh, especially looking at you, Indiana, right now, I'm sorry. Uh, your backup's a four-star, though. I didn't realize that, so I don't care. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Transferred from Utah. Uh, it, you know, it makes you think that they're told that, you know, even if, you know, Stanley would have gone down last year, Mansell... Um, you know, they still might have, you know, Petrus might have played over Mansell. I don't know if that's true, but that's what makes, but it makes you believe it a little bit, you know. Uh, they Like Kirk brought in Cody Sokol from a junior college just to have him sit on the bench. Like, granted, you know, quarterback was a little bit of a problem uh, that year depth-wise, but it just makes you think, that, you know, in reality, in some situations, that the number two quarterback in the depth chart is in reality maybe the number three. Mm. You know? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like, Deuce, like the guy he's preparing to take over quarterback next is actually Deuce Hogan. Right. I think that there's validity to that, but but it's not like there's a ton of space between Hogan and, and Petrus. Like, I guess it's a free year for everyone. So, in theory, you know, Hogan has four years after – Five years after this year, right? If he were to redshirt. Yeah. So year. if I was if I was sitting like if I was a gambler if I was a bookmaker, you know I would say that Hogan has fifty percent better chance to play over Padilla next year and a seventy five percent seventy five percent better chance or no I'd say ninety percent better chance to play over Padilla in two years versus Petrus a senior in two years. I don't even know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like yeah. that that's goes back to my point. It's like Petrus is a sophomore in eligibility wise next year. Mm-hmm. So like that's why once Iowa lost the two games, like we can't do that. We can't do this with Petrus for three more years. We just can't. Like, but his his stats aren't so far out, and, and that's why like I get back to this is such a feel thing versus a see and like read thing because. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Because I went back and, and like, uh, C.J. Beathard's 2014 splits against Big Ten competition, 51%, 382 yards on 58 passes. That math is, I don't know, can't do that in my head. But that's why it's a feel thing and why people in 2014 into 2015, there was such a, a debate about... Rudock versus Bethard because the stats in those games weren't necessarily in Bethard's favor. So it was, you know, like I, I, it just comes, it comes to, to feel to it factor to the things that make, you know, the, it's the, the dumb Trent Dilfer thing. Like you're going out with your, all the quarterbacks from a draft class are going out and having a beer. Who's driving the car. Like, I mean, who's driving the car of this locker, this quarterback room? It's probably Hogan, to be honest. Like, I mean, I think that that's probably it. Um, and Yeah, until Labus gets on campus. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's like, it. I, there's there's no way that Padilla takes a, a relevant snap for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um 
period. I, I think you're you're kind of exactly period? right there. Period or just twenty um, I mean, I think even if there's an open competition, if it does not feel open to either one of those quarterbacks, I would not be surprised if one or both of them left because there's only one football. There's only one person who can stand behind the football unless, you know, uh, Kirk Ferentz just doesn't dilly-dally with that position. He and, and to his credit, he doesn't really dilly-dally with a lot of positions. Once you have your spot, We just saw Wildcat for the first time ever. It took, only took him 15 years to, uh, yeah. to install that innovation into his offense. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, Merriweather had strong safety or free safety, and he probably would have worked through his stuff, his, his mistakes. Like Riley Moss, he, he's had his spot for three years. It's paying off now. Um, Kerner, he immediately stepped in. He's not going to lose it. Um, the reason it's kind of interesting with middle linebacker, and I think Thad made this point, is just, you know, Jack Campbell looks all world when he's out there, but he's coming off mononucleosis. So he can't play 70 plays a game. So Benson almost by default has to play, but he's playing great. That's the, that's the only time I can recall an important position cycling in the way that it does outside like lines different in my opinion um just because you're trying to rotate say, bodies the parker hesse epinesa revolving <laughs> door <laughs> so that's just the way kirk operates and it makes sense sometimes but when you have you know you have players like epinesa that probably would I think that that's probably going to be an interesting thing to see with TJ Ballers. Once he starts playing, does he play a ton or is he eased in in the same way that Epinesa was at Iowa uh, Ballers at Wisconsin? So I don't know. Like it's just Kirk Ferentz. He just like, he has his ones and he rolls with them. And that's, that's just the way it works at Iowa is try and make your top 25 the best that they can be and roll with them. And that's why you see transfers, because uh, once once you're locked out, there's there's not much by way of getting in unless you just want to wait. We should change the name of this podcast to "You Pod with the Army You Have." <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Well, Ben, uh, any final thoughts as we move on to Illinois? We did not discuss. That game at all. Um, they don't deserve any of our air. <laughs> any of our breath. Uh, the fibs. Uh, the fibs. I mean, yeah, nobody... Every, all their attention is on Illinois basketball, as it should be. I mean, I can't blame them. Yeah, I mean, basketball minute. Uh, Keegan Murray. Uh, I think I was maybe a little too sardonic in my write-ups about him and his brother. Um, yeah, I, I still can't tell him apart, but yeah. Uh, he's good. I know. He's I, really good. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm ready to say, like, this guy is um, maybe the type of player that Kirk Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz Frey McCaffrey would have <laughs> uh, liked Ahmad Wagner to be. That's kind of what I'm viewing him as. Maybe he's a little Dom Yulish. I think those are both probably absolute floors for the I mean, type yeah. of player he can be. But 
I like him. I can't. I can't believe how good he is. <laughs> Blown away. Are you more surprised by his ability or uh, Pat's? Because I've been blown away by Pat too. Pat, lo- Pat looks huge. Pat looks like every bit of a fringe five star recruit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what we're seeing with him. Like, I think both of those guys, I think they're probably the same position, stretch fours, into fives. They have those, like, slashing ball skills. You hear Fran say all the time, oh, you can shoot dribble drive. Well, that's cool. But it seems like those two can, and they are very willing rebounders, which I think is uh, the type of energy that they're going to have to bring for what they're ultimate role is um i was kind of doing some minutes math uh, earlier today and i just it's kind of gonna hinge on what nunji does and how he and garza overlap i i don't think nunji should necessarily have more than 20 minutes a game but um we haven't we'll seen see him yet what, we haven't seen him yet this year yet either though now, and if they use if they use him as a center and they play Garza on the perimeter in minutes that they overlap, I think I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable um, than than if it's reversed because I think Garza looks a little quicker defensively, looks like maybe the better help uh, defender on the backside. Um, I still don't know about the defense. We say this every year, but I mean it's true every year. <laughs> and, and this is the year that maybe defense doesn't matter. Like I think that that's the thing. If they're playing in empty gyms, it's it'll come down to kind of the the two. Can you make shot? Can you make shots and do you want it more? Like, I mean that's a bit on Titus and Tate, but like, can you generate your own energy? And I think Garza is going to be that for Iowa. And if you are just shooters, like I think it might be to Iowa's benefit, but um, Big Ten is the Big Ten, and who knows how referees will call games. If they call them a little lighter, you know, the way that Iowa likes to have games called, then it will be to Iowa's benefit. But who knows, man? Like I'm, I am excited that basketball is back. It was fun watching them. I know. I I'm excited. We have um, after this week, we have three or four, four games or what? Iowa State, Gonzaga, and North Carolina, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna it, it's it's gonna be fun. I think I I'm not optimistic for Gonzaga because they look like a professional outfit. <laughs> they look really good. <laughs> they look good. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what will make me feel good and what will make me feel bad in terms of outcomes um, for that game. We'll probably talk about it more when it gets here. But um, otherwise, fun basketball minute, fun podcast, fun co-host. Ben, have a great evening, a great week. We shall reconvene for hopefully a fun after party when we are popping bottles um you want to pop bottles after an illinois football win well i mean we always crack the beers open yeah we need it's, it's just just uh just uh yeah. oh but it's a 230 game i know it stinks absolutely stinks I mean, thank god i've got nowhere to be anymore it's too cold to golf now I, 
I can't I can't believe like in 2020 I've turned into someone where my favorite game is the 11 o'clock game and I think my second favorite time slot for Iowa to have is Friday. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's so true. It's like ah, oh, I, I like the Friday thing. I know. I'm just waiting for a game to get rescheduled to Sunday. Now. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, that that's a different topic for a different day. Ben Ross, I will check you later. Go Hawks. Uh, fuck state. <laughs>